This is TREPWIRE Week in Review for week ending May 22nd. I'm Martha Kocher with TREP, a data modeling and analytics firm for the CMBS, commercial real estate, and CLO markets. I'm with Manis Clancy, Senior Managing Director, and Joe McBride, Head of CRE Finance. This week, all 50 states are at some stage of reopening and the vaccine race is on, with news of pharma's making some headway with U.S. funding or early phase results. And all of this is costly. To help the government's growing debt, the Treasury Department issued a 20-year bond for the first time in 24 years. Initial jobless claims are still slowing. 2.4 million filed last week compared to a high, if you remember, of over 6 million in March. But it's hard to feel good about that number when the continuing claims, the people that are receiving benefits, are a record 25 million. Still, it seems investors are trying to find the positive in this upside-down world. Where do we start, Manus? Well, I'm starting with the fact that we are at Memorial Day 2020, that it will be a Memorial Day like none other. People have been cooped up for seven weeks. They're antsy. Uh, It's the unofficial kickoff of summer. And somehow it just feels like maybe this weekend will be the beginning of, of better days, getting out more and... Uh, more fresh air and more restrictions being lifted. Um, I was wondering it would be more appropriate to call this more like a D-Day number two. Instead of 18-year-olds storming the beaches at Normandy, they'll be storming the beaches of Coney Island and Far Rockaway. <laughs> Mayor de Blasio playing the role of King Canute, trying <laughs> to keep the tides of millennials away. But that's just wishful thinking from a guy who's been cooped up behind a terminal for seven weeks, uh, you know, missing his sports and, uh, you know, sitting through some crappy weather lately. I think it's nine weeks, actually. It doesn't really, time is a flat circle now. Nothing really matters anymore. You get up, you walk to your desk, then you go back to sleep. And once a week, we get to record this podcast as a little respite. Yes. All right, should we go into the data? Let's do. All right, it's a two coffee day, so hopefully uh, I don't put anybody to sleep. Uh, My takeaway for this week, it's a big earnings week. We saw tons of retailers come out with numbers um, and it's really broken down into the haves and have nots. The haves are defined by those that sell food, sanitizers, or household items. So we saw decent Uh, sales numbers, top line numbers from the likes of Walmart and Home Depot. Actually, even though the the negative news about Victoria's Secret was plentiful, they also owned Bath Bath and Body Works, which saw a big uptick in sales because of their sales of of sanitizers and other soaps and so forth. Uh, The have-nots are the guys that sell uh, underwear, sports coats, and khakis. Uh, (laughs) Kohl's, Macy's, Victoria's Secret, JCPenney. Uh, all brutal weeks for one reason or another. And, uh, you know, those guys continue to suffer with uh, dismal sales numbers and uh, struggling prospects. Manus, I think Kohl's is down because you haven't gone for your annual uh, refresh of your khaki dockers. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, <laughs> yes, pants are in short supply. It's a lot of shorts these days, gym shorts. <laughs> Uh, sometimes pajamas until four o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, when people only see it from the neck up, it's, uh, it's a whole different world. Well, it's not even the neck. It's the, ch- it's the first chin up. 
I actually saw a story in the Wall Street Journal today that there were all sorts of elaborate ruses that people were playing to avoid the Zoom 15 or the Zoom double chin that happens, including, which is something I may think about, is the scotch tape trick, pulling your, fa- pulling your skin back via scotch tape. That's not going to work. The quarantine 15 about, is uh, real. A binder clip at the base of my neck in the back. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the individual names uh, for store closings. Uh, we got the last call for Pier 1. Uh, they couldn't find a buyer, and they will be liquidating everything. Uh, I wish I could take claim for this, but I did see it on Twitter. Somebody called it the last call for Wicker. Anybody who wants Wicker, this is your last chance as they are going to close the remaining 500 stores. It is a, um, from a retail perspective, it's not a huge story in CMBS. There are some standalone uh, Pier 1 locations that back CMBS loans, but they tend to be loans of under 10 million in size. As we wrote in Trep Wire, however, their headquarters backs a $55 million CMBS loan. Their headquarters is in Texas. Uh, they represent almost 90% of the square footage there. And that is a loan to watch uh, as they go through liquidation. Of course, JCPenney late last week announced that they were going to file for bankruptcy. Everybody's waiting for their announcement of which of their 250 stores will close. They are talking about going down the Seritage path, the Sears uh, spinoff path. Sears, as we know, spun off a lot of its real estate into a separate entity. They'd issued bonds off that under the Seritage name. Investors who had bought those bonds were paid back in full. Uh, CNBC last week and Lauren Thomas did a nice write-up of their strategy. Uh, if you look for that, it, it's, it's a pretty good summarization. Uh, Victoria Secret, they're looking to, to close also 250 stores. Uh, that would be 25% of their footprints. And if you go back and look at some of these um, prospectus documents from 2013 and 2014, uh, Victoria's Secret very often was the highest sales per square foot operator in these malls for the inline space. Uh, Apple was usually blowing people away if there was an Apple in a mall, um, but often Victoria's Secret was second. This would be a real body blow um, on top of all the other retailers we've seen close up at the inline space at some of these malls. Yeah, and we, we mentioned JCPenney. I mean, we've been tracking that, you know, exposure list since, since 2012, really. Uh, and I think right now the, the most recent number that we've put together is over $25 billion in CMBS loans are exposed in some way to JCPenney. Um, some of the other data, you know, we, we talked about it last week, but we hadn't gotten the full remittance cycle in the door yet. Um, we are now at about 5.8% of the whole universe in special servicing, um, 7.4% in the grace period. So not delinquent, but haven't made their payment at least this month. Uh, and about a little over 6% delinquency. So there's, those numbers are still subject to change because not everything has been rolled, but, uh, kind of more, more of the same right? Lodging could, if things stay the same, lodging could have 20 or 30% delinquency in the next couple months and retail should be, you know, 10 or 15%. Yeah. If you look at lodging alone, um, between what's, uh, with the special service or already, or on watch list, I think you're north of 40%. 
at this point, if I'm not mistaken, 35, 40%. I have to go back and look at the numbers, yeah. but it's of that magnitude. It's about 34% if you just count grace period and delinquency, not even, I'm not even talking about special servicing or watch list. Yeah. Um, one last note on earnings this week. Um, something that we had flagged two weeks ago, I believe. Um, Amazon at the time, I talk about a big uptick in their expenses that they were going to use their entire quarterly profit on COVID related items, including uh, improving uh, cleanliness at, at their plants and so forth. We considered that a, uh, um, you know, a, a fastball right at the ribs of other retailers who they were expecting to have to uh, meet their higher standards, meet Amazon's higher standards for cleanliness. And we did start seeing signs of this um, this week. Uh, Home Depot was one of the first, uh, even though their top line beat, um, they missed on the bottom line because I think it was 60 basis points worth of um, COVID related uh, expenses, which some of which was cleaning, which is huge. People weren't expecting that. Um, TJ Maxx, I believe was 350 million um, of expenses, COVID related. Target, 500 million. Walmart, even though their sales were just astronomical, 900 million in COVID related expenses. So for anybody underwriting a loan, trying to get to the bottom of where valuation should be, where losses may come in. I know we've been talking for a long time about the demand side, but the expense side, I think, is going to continue to shock and disappoint people for a long time. Yeah. Anyway, I mentioned it to you, Manis, yesterday that uh, at least a few, several million of that $4 billion that Amazon set aside for COVID-related expenses is going towards Twitter advertisements telling me about what they're doing to keep their employees safe. So it's clearly, uh, it's a good thing that they're doing it, but it's definitely, I think, the direct shot, like you said. It's not a 100% altruistic move, right? Absolutely not. And, and I'm happy they're keeping their packages clean because goodness sakes, uh, the amount of packages we're getting on our front porch every day is mind boggling. Right? <laughs> daily, it's asteroid. daily is going to wipe out the planet on, on Sunday. And on Friday, we're still getting seven packages. <laughs> My most recent uh, purchase is a little half-length golf club so that I can take a bunch of swings while I'm in my interminable day of Zoom meetings. Yeah, That's a necessity right there. I've been it is. A, uh, Tommy Copper compression shirt to ease my lower back pain. Does that work? <laughs> I haven't tried it yet, but all I know is I'm sitting at this really uncomfortable chair in a desk uh, that is not really mine. It was set up because COVID <laughs> required it to be set up this way. Uh, and I'm not really comfortable. <laughs> well, everyone's got, I, yesterday I was holding my son and all of a sudden I had one of those knots that hit that nerve right in the center of your back and it shoots all the way up to your neck. And so I'm dealing with that. Yeah. I think everyone we've everyone I've talked to at Trep anyway has had some sort of back issue since the quarantine began because we're all, all sitting in weird chairs. Waitresses out there, you know, movie attendants, stuff like that. I, I think they're they're playing with this world's smallest violin right now, Joe. About your uh, your back. Really? Because <laughs> they're <laughs> listening. Because <laughs> they're listening right now. Yes. Yes, but I heard myself, and I heard how unsympathetic it was. <laughs> Man, shame on us. 
Well, you were, uh, you were spending some time walking us through some of the retail numbers and earnings um, related to that. Uh, we've had a lot of questions about CMBX 6. Maybe you could spend a minute and talk about what it is and why everybody's so interested in it. All right. I'm, I'm going to take this to CMBX 101, and I'm going to take it way back. So I apologize to those listening that are in this market for whom this is um, a little bit too beginner-like, but we do get a lot of emails and calls from people who are outside of this market that have been asking about it. And I will try to put this in football terms to make it something that maybe make it more um, uh, easy to explain. So imagine that every team in the NFL, you could place or buy a certificate that if that team won the Super Bowl, you would get $1,000, okay? And anybody could issue those. You know, uh, our Keegan behind the glass could issue these and said, I don't believe in uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Anybody that, that wants me, wants to give me 500 bucks for one of these $1,000 certificates, I'll take it all day long, right? Because I don't believe that this is going to happen. And I'll take your 500 bucks. And when they prove to be a flash in the pan, I'll buy back your credits for 100 bucks later and I'll pocket the difference, Right. And because their chances are pretty high, people might pay $500 for their certificate, right? For the luckless Jets, it's probably 30 bucks today, right? <laughs> but those prospects go up and down, right? If the Jets go out and sign a, a Pro Bowl defensive end, maybe they're, uh, you know, that certificate's up to 50 bucks, right? Because you feel a little bit better. Maybe they can win the Super Bowl this year. You'll pay a little bit up for this. Of course, they'll lose to the Bills week one. That's what CMBX is right? CMBX is a series of bets on a certain set of CMBS bonds and whether or not they will be paid back in full. For the AAA bonds, for that index, there's high confidence. So people pay a high price for those, right? For bonds that are indexed to triple B minus credits, the odds are longer and those prices are lower. But just like the Jets in that defensive end or the Jets in losing to the Bills week one, as the prospects for these loans go up and down, so too does the value of your CMBX bet. So, and, and just like a roster of football teams, each one is slightly different. The roster of all these CMBX indexes are slightly different. Some have more offices, some have more retail, some have more hotels. So each one is a little bit different than the other. CMBX 6 was issued in 2013. It happens to be heavily weighted towards shopping mall debt. Malls with hundreds of millions of dollars worth of loans on them. The properties were once worth 200 million, 300 million, 400 million. But now with JCPenney on the ropes, Macy's earnings uh, being dismal, Bonton having gone out of business, people think this collateral, instead of being worth 200 million now, is worth is worth 20 million now and these these positions are looking at losses and so some people have bet that these things will pay off on time and they're making that bet that these instruments will be like the jets they're going to come through and they're going to pay off and the reward will be, will be rich and others are like keegan and they're saying and they were and they were saying months ago i am betting against this class i am betting against it at a price of 90 with the belief that I can buy this thing back at 50 in eight or 10 months 
and I'm going to get rich over this. Carl Icahn is the, the biggest player in this, and he has bet against this segment of the market. Um, and, and for him, it's like betting against the Jets. He's just, you know, ready to cash his ticket any day now. Um, others are the people at MP Securitized who have made big bets and followed this market very thoroughly and are very smart people. But that's what it is. There are smart people on the short side. There are smart people on the long side, short being the guys that believe this will blow up, long being the guys that think this will muddle through. And that's where people have been placing their bets for a long time. I think the reason that this is such a hotly followed topic is a couple of things. First is it, it's the retail apocalypse, the death of the mall, that whole storyline that's been going on you know, for six or seven or eight years has been something that people are always interested in, right? Is this, you know, institution that has existed in Americana for 50 or 60 years as the suburban mall, is this thing going to go away eventually? And I think the answer is potentially yes, but maybe they don't go away. Maybe they just get turned into something else. So you take that. So there's this mainstream kind of uh, appeal to the story and interest. But then there's the idea of it's not me buying a bond, which it's a hundred million dollar bond and I can buy a hundred million dollars worth of it or less. This is a, you know, this brings back some of the, the big short, you know, high notional value, big time bets, long, short, like all those different aspects of the story in general, make it, you know, palatable to the non CMBSers. Uh, out there, right? So I think there's, and and having Carl Icahn and some other big names as part of it is another reason that people always care about it, right? So, you know, I saw uh, a pretty interesting uh, chart that came out of uh, Bank of America and the Department of Commerce, which showed from 2009 to 2019, the percentage of retail sales that occurred online went from 5.6% to 16%, right? So basically in 10 years, the percentage increased by 10%. In the last eight weeks, that percentage has increased to 27%, right? So it took 10 years to go from five to 16. It took eight weeks to go from 16 to 27. Now, part of that is due to the fact that the denominator is a lot smaller because retail sales plunged by I think 16% or something like that. But at the same time, like this, if we come out of this and this, this percentage of retail sales occurring online, you know, comes back down to 20% or 25%, that is a huge increase that happens in half a year. When we've been kind of ticking up by one percentage point per year, all of a sudden in 2020, we tick up by five or seven or 8%. That is going to be, you know, the, the ripple effect of that through all of brick and mortar retail, especially you know, the soft goods stores, like Manus mentioned, right? Anywhere where I would usually buy golden toes or, uh, you know, Oxford button-down shirts or whatever else, those are the, those are the stores that are going to be struggling, right? And I think uh, Lonnie, who we had on last week, he mentioned to me today that um, Amazon was looking at some of the JCPenney real estate. So we mentioned about Target kind of offhandedly a few weeks ago about Amazon using them as a distribution network. Now you have all of these big boxes that are very easy to customize and turn into a distribution center. And you might be able to get them at 50 cents on the dollar. And they're all well located, obviously, because there was a reason that 
these malls were built in these areas. So it'd be interesting to see if that, you know, if Amazon ends up saving the malls by putting their distribution centers and their pickup locations there. So I can go, I can order my thing online, drive 10 minutes and go pick it up because I want it now and not in three days. And on the way out, I'm going to get an Annie Ann's soft pretzel. Well, that's Just, what, uh, that's what Target said. They've used their stores to fulfill about 80% of their online orders. So right. that's exactly Just, the model. Just keeping with the CMBX for, for a couple seconds. Um, you know, one point is that this is dense material. And if anybody has questions, by all means, you know, email us at info at trep.com and we're happy no, to. Podcast at trep.com. Podcast at trep.com. That's the one. Uh, and we're happy to, to reply to this. And if we do get questions on this, we'll try to address them next week. Um, just a couple of other thoughts. One is order of magnitude. Like I said, CMBX 6, triple B minus, was it about 90, 95? six months ago, give or take. Now it's in the mid to low to mid sixties, right? So it's lost about a third of its value. Um, two other parts of that, it's not all shopping malls um, behind this, right? So now instead of just worrying about the shopping malls muddling through, uh, investors have to now look at, will the hotels muddle through too because they have been just uh, obliterated over the last 60 days. So now there's another reason to be concerned about this index. And then lastly, I, I think the assumption was for many people that when it came to mall loans, as long as a guy was making just enough to pay his mortgage, this thing was not going to blow up, right? So if the guy had a 1.1x debt service coverage ratio, a 1.2, it's like an option. As long as I'm covering my nut I may as well hold on to this thing and maybe somehow by some miracle, this gets better, right? Now, when they come out of this, if they're seeing 80% foot traffic and their DSCR is 0.8 and they have to write a check every month, they're sending in the keys, right? Jingle mail and they're done. So people who were long um, CMBX and thought they could collect premiums for another three years until these loans matured, are now starting to scratch their head and saying, wow, would some of these things default in July or August or September? So the calculus has changed a lot and um, not to the benefit of the longs. We should note, you mentioned Keegan twice. If you're a first time listener, he is the man behind the glass. We're looking at him, but uh, he's usually our, our silent producer back there. So wanted to clarify that in case they're wondering who that is. <laughs> If we're looking at some of the special sectors in CRE, um, let's turn to those for a second. We did get a question in, uh, from a listener this past week. Robin in Florida asked our team about the economic impact to self-storage, which is typically a recession-proof sector. Joe, what are we seeing there? Sure. So we're, we're not seeing nearly as much of an increase in uh, grace period or delinquency or anything like that. I think it's, it's increasing along with the rest of the market, but not nearly as much. Uh, I actually reached out to a good buddy of mine who used to be a consultant in that space. And he gave me some really good feedback saying that, you know, sales are still pretty decent right now. Although um, a lot of the self-storage operators are offering pretty big incentives and discounts to get people locked in. Uh, he mentioned that, you know, accounts receivable is an issue that people, this is one of the first things that people stop paying for. Uh, you know, if they lose their job or if, they, you know, it's low on the priority list. Um, it's, you know, he said it's similar to um, lodging 
not in terms of performance, but in terms of this is some, this is a dynamically priced asset based on supply and demand and occupancy and things like that. And that um, there could potentially be a reset here in pricing uh, in terms of what, how much it costs to rent space, storage space. Uh, these special, or sorry, I think I keep thinking specially service self storage loans uh, or properties do very well when they're in dense areas. Um, you know, people with small apartments in Manhattan or Brooklyn, like Keegan, uh, potentially may need some self-storage to be able to store their bike or whatever the heck else they have. Some of his mountain climbing gear or some of his beard trimming tools. I don't know. Um, but one of the issues uh, that may come up is if we see a uh, significant drop in new home sales, not new home sales, but just home sales in general, people moving, that's pretty much the biggest catalyst of uh, people using self-storage is they're moving. They're either upsizing or they're downsizing. They need some place to put their stuff for three or six months or whatever it may be. I did, I feel like I saw a stat a couple of weeks ago that uh, pending home sales were down something like 20%. Um, so that could really take a toll in the next several months on self-storage. But I think, you know, historically it's been somewhat recession proof and potentially counter cyclical, right? Because if you have people who are uh, struggling and they have to end up downsizing, they may end up using, you know, self-storage where they might not have otherwise. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep our eye on that. And I, I'm happy that we got to answer our very first listener uh, submitted question. So thank you, Robin. If you don't yeah, count the, the questions from Dave. <laughs> Contemplative and philosophical Dave from New Jersey. Yes, the one. Um, we just on the, on the special. I mean the uh, self storage. Very quickly, I, I did look at the uh, requests for relief from COVID in the watch list notes. It seemed like it was under uh, ten loans for which the borrower was looking for any kind of relief. I think the uptick in delinquency and uh, special servicing was really fractional. And, uh, and I think that this will um, outperform many of the other segments that, that we've seen. Yeah, so just to put some numbers behind it, I'm um, looking at my little dashboard here. So on the watch list, about 7.8% of self-storage loans are, are on the watch list. And that compares to 37% lodging, 23% retail, 15% multifamily, 12% office, right? So it's still about, it's about half of what office even is. Uh, in terms of special servicing, it's still fairly low compared to everything else. And delinquency, it's, it's actually one of the, it's actually the lowest property type in terms of delinquency right now. So currently performing very well, right? With some potential clouds on the horizon. And so if we look at maybe the flip side, and I think of student housing as the flip side, right? If your stuff's not in storage, you're in a, a student apartment probably. Um, we did a report this week where uh, we talked about student housing and some of the numbers behind that. And as colleges are reporting what being means, what open means for them this fall, it's an area that we're concerned about. Uh, but as we've talked about before, this was an area we were worried about before COVID-19. So what's going on there? Well, I think it's going to be really a regional thing. Uh, what we saw over the last couple of days was um, announcements by the two big California college systems that they were unlikely to open in the fall. There's a fair amount of CMBS debt 
tied to student housing near uh, University of California or Cal State colleges. So this is a concern. Uh, on the other hand, it seems like places in the South, um, Alabama, Tennessee, um, Auburn, I believe all announced that they were going to try to open in the fall. So I do think there'll be a, re a big regional impact. I think uh, California, um, the Northeast could be much more heavily hit by this downturn. Uh, but even schools in the South, what you could see is um, the type of thing where maybe only 85% of the student body comes back, either because of uh, economic limitations, right, parents being laid off, uh, or concerns over COVID. Um, anecdotally, what we've heard from uh, some of our own kids' um, friends is that this has been a terrific year to get off wait lists for colleges, that more people are being taken off of wait lists to go to colleges than ever before, which to me says there's a skittishness about going back or going back to a place where it might be online learning. And I think this trickles down. I think that the campuses themselves may force students to live on campus and that takes away uh, a big chunk of the demand, even for those schools that uh, are opening in the fall for those private operators. Yeah, I think the multifamily delinquency rate, that's a non-agency, right? Multifamily that's in CMBS, which tends to be the, the stuff that got picked over and, and left behind by the agencies is, I think it was around 2.5% or something like that. It's looking like it's, it's ticking upwards closer to 3% uh, in May. I think that's 90% of that is probably student housing, right? That's causing a lot of that, that increase. Yeah. And I will say I have a little interesting anecdote. Uh, so I finished up my class uh, a couple of weeks ago and I submitted the grades and everything. And we had to do, I had to teach the last maybe six or seven classes online on GoToMeeting. And I just got my reviews back from my students and Generally, I, I get pretty decent reviews, which is nice. Uh, but I thought the, uh, the highlight of all of the reviews by far was uh, the, the, the last qualitative question was, when you transition to online learning, you know, what did, did, was it good? Was it bad? What were the positives? And one student, I don't know who he was. I'm assuming it was a he. It was just, YouTube is better. And I thought damn, the kid, wow. got me. the kid just roasted me. <laughs> he could learn everything he needs from YouTube. You don't need me. Wow. Now, why did you assume it was a man? Just asking. Well, I have, I remember who was in my class and I tend to think that I have some suspicions, but then again, who knows? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? Podcasts are better than YouTube. That should be your, uh, your rebuttal. Well, I did ask them to subscribe. So maybe the kid is, I doubt it. If he didn't like me that much, he's probably not listening to this podcast. But if he is, shoot me an email and let me know it was you. I'll, I'll uh, maybe increase your grade. Hope it's say. not a Jet fan. <laughs> right? Hope there's not too many Jet fans among our listener base. Give him a C, Joe. <laughs> All right. Turning to the corporate CLO market, there were more downgrades by ratings agencies and reports that the quality of leveraged loan covenants have deteriorated. So what's the impact of that? Well, I think what people are looking for right now, well, two, two things. One is, as we've mentioned, I believe in the past that, you know, which structures will start, start to fail OC tests and 
and see redirected cash. I think that that's part of it. But I think the broader picture, uh, at least for our analysts here at Trap and what they're trying to get their arms around is who was the smart money in February that got out of some of these positions faster than others, right? So you saw tons of credits that were trading in the 90s that went to the 70s and then the 40s and then the 20s, right? Uh, operators like uh, Hertz in the rental car space, um, plenty of guys in the oil and gas arena, uh, cruise line operators, airlines, and so forth. And now that we've seen remittance data come in from April, uh, you get to see a sense of where the real smart money was, right? Who were the guys that got out at 90 and kept their powder dry? Who were the ones that were late on the uptick and got out at 60? Um, there were some guys that tried to catch the falling knife that in some cases um, bought at 60 only to see something go back to, to 40 or 30. Um, so I think that unlike a stable market, which is where we lived in for the last five years, where it was very difficult to separate uh, the good from the bad, I think that the next month or two will really reveal the guys that were on top of these moves and um, and really uh, immunize their portfolios very quickly against downturns and who was a little bit late on the, on the uptick. And that will be very interesting. And I think it will inform investors worldwide um, for, you know, who is really sharp in a uh, dismal market. So those of you that have cabin fever might be happy to hear that the NCAA this week voted to lift its ban on football and basketball workouts starting June 1. So that could mean there's some sports activity for you guys. And I know that's important. In the meantime, the big event this weekend is the golf charity event between the pairings of Woods and Manning and Mickelson and Brady. Joe, is this a welcome distraction in your sports starved world or not good enough? I, well, if anyone saw the, I would say, snooze fest that happened last Sunday, which was the tailor-made uh, Rory, DJ, Matt Wolf, and Ricky Fowler, um, you could not believe that the commentators were talking as much as they were and that the guys playing the actual golf weren't talking at all. I could only make it through about 45 minutes, and I'm a golf nut. This week, we have the OG crew, right? Tiger versus Phil, Brady versus Manning, with Charles Barkley as the commentator. This can only mean amazing television, and it can also only mean millions of dollars in side bets that we will never know about between Tiger and Phil and Tom and Peyton, and especially Charles Barkley. The What is he? The round mound of rebound? Well, I would say that even though I'm old enough to have seen Michael Jordan actually play in a playoff game. Um, I do have some eligibility left. So if these colleges, you know, need a, uh, a guy with really uh, limited ups and uh, lower back pain um, <laughs> to fill out the roster, I'm their guy. I didn't burn all my eligibility back in the day. Um, uh. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a golf guy. I, I heard a rumor today that hockey was gearing up, that they had actually determined what the – playoffs would look like, who would be playing whom. And uh, I know it's still a rumor at this point, but I think that 
that got me going a little bit more than, uh, you know, the Tiger Phil thing, I got to say. Well, sports is definitely needed for you guys. I can say that. Let me talk one more thing about that. Something that uh, got people going last week. We talked about a potential road trip down Route 66. It was to support the cause. We were going to go from roadside hotel to roadside hotel in, in a convertible, staying only at hotels that had CMBS that really helped the cause. That uh, really struck a nerve uh, with our listenership. We got tons of comments last week. Um, we thought at some point we were going to have to go to the Econoline van if our ownership ever green lights this trip. By the end, we thought we were going to have to get a, an idled rock and roll tour bus to fit the guys that wanted to go along Route 66, listening to Bob Dylan going from uh, Red Roof Inn to Red Roof Inn. So we got some great, uh, hilarious feedback. Uh, especially from the guy with the 66 Corvette, who was the first to come back saying he wanted to join the, the road show. Um, thank you for everybody for your listenership and, and those hilarious lines. Uh, we're still waiting for our ownership to green light this, but uh, if they do and we can get the, uh, the tour bus from uh, the Steve Miller band, and, and we're reaching out to all you guys. And we're going to put the, uh, the group together. That could be scary. And a lot of fun. So with that, we'll close as we head into the long weekend. Thanks to our producer, Keegan St. Anjmay. Join us next week as we look at what happened during the week and how it may be impacting you. If you have a question, drop us an email at podcast at trep.com or look for our Twitter, Twitter poll, easy for me to say, for topics. Until then, visit trep.com for more info and subscribe to the Tripwire podcast with your favorite provider. Thank you for listening and stay well. All right.